Welcome back everyone. Thank you for joining the podcast. Today we have with us one of my former coaches, the hugely knowledgeable and successful James Gibson, MBE. James is probably now best known for his coaching success in the swimming world. However, he has some incredible achievements to his name as a hugely talented swimmer himself. Being on the British and English team for many years, he became Commonwealth, European and World Champion in the 50 metres breaststroke and was also sixth in the Athens Olympic Games in the 100 metres breaststroke. Following his success as an athlete, his focus was turned to coaching, where he's coached out in Marseille, he's coached here in Britain as the national sprint coach, and now heads up the energy standard team out in Turkey, where he's heavily involved with the setup of the new International Swimming League. He's guided swimmers to world titles and Olympic medals, but today we talk to him about the injury that took a hold on his career and how that influences his coaching style now, how the psychological element to coaching is just as important as the physical, what the aims of the ISL are for the future, and how life and training on the other side of lockdown will look for his athletes. Thanks for listening today, guys. We really hope you enjoy the conversation. Okay, so hi James, welcome. Thanks for coming on, mate. Really appreciate you being here. How are you keeping? Hey guys, hey Joe, hey, hey mate. Yeah, good mate. Solid. Well, as good as can be in this current situation. Just uh, itching to get back going. Um, hopefully, I should be reopening the program within the next week or two. So, um, with the UK government today, have announced that these special air corridors can start. It's all looking a bit more positive. Let's say. Nasty. Yeah, good, good. And you're safe and well, healthy, all of, all of that stuff. Yes, yeah. Fact, yeah. touch wood. Everything is good. Been wearing my masks to the shops, gloves and everything, and uh, taking all the necessary precautions that we should be doing. Oh, good stuff, good stuff. So, so James, we know you firstly from being an athlete yourself, um, you know, being on and around teams with yourself as an athlete. Um, obviously then your journey into coaching and you were one of my coaches as well uh, after Olympic. Mm -hmm. so, um, can you give us a little bit of background on your journey? So whether it's kind of from being an athlete into a coach or through your coaching journey, like give us a bit of background on yourself. Okay, okay. Well, I, I keep it brief. I like to talk <laughs> about more what I'm doing now than what we've done in the past. So um, I'm starting to realise now that uh, there's plenty of people in the world don't really understand that I used to be a swimmer so it just shows my age I had an athlete I'm trying to recruit at the minute asked me if I had any experience in breaststroke the other day it was quite <laughs> interesting for me um, so uh, no I'm a, I'm a, I was a former Great Britain international swimmer I swam for Great Britain for 10 years uh, I was a world champion European champion Commonwealth champion um, I won quite a few medals uh, in my former life uh, I then finished my career in swimming due to a uh, quite a nasty back injury and so my lessons I learned through sort of the lack of pre-call or lack of self-management that I did in my own career I now sort of could have transferred quite nicely into my coaching career because uh, that ultimately cost me dearly in the end uh, any sort of chance of racing at the London 2012 Olympics. Uh, I finished swimming in 2009, transitioned to coaching more as assistant coach in uh, 2010 and then I had my own group from 2011-2012 based in Ma uh, Marseille in the south of France. Uh, I was a performance, national performance coach there 
centre coach in France, and I moved over to Britain in 2012, where I worked with yourself, Amy. Uh, we were started off as a national sprint program. We we're all supposed to be based in London, but due to a significant lack of finance and funds, that got shelved pretty early. So we stayed in the beautiful Loughborough, uh, where we were from 2012 to 2016. In 2016, um, I left my role as a national centre coach in Britain to take on a, a very radical challenge in uh, setting up uh, the, well, my, my task was to set up the best swimming club in the world within four years, uh, achieve that within two, uh, and then have a big leadership role in the International Swimming League, uh, which has always been the long-term project of my employer, Konstantin Grigorishin who is the chairman and uh, sort of the brain, the brainchild, as we say, behind the ISL. Yeah, wow. So you, you've had quite a career. And like you say, that you achieved uh, what you aim to do in four years with, with your new team, Energy Standard, now in two. So you mm-hmm. know, your coaching career has taken off incredibly. Um, but you, you did mention in the, as an athlete, the end of your career was kind of tainted with injury. Um, you had quite a significant back injury um i know how that feels but um i mean you yeah. said this was an influencing factor on your retirement and that you it does affect what you do now can you tell us a little bit a little bit about your injury and you know how that kind of affected you mentally maybe uh coming into well what ended up making you retire it sounds like and what exactly that does change with your coaching philosophies now Okay, so I was, I'd call it, I was a dinosaur, I was one of the last dinosaur swimmers where, uh, <laughs> in terms of athletes' self-management, where we just, you train, get injured, lay on a physio bed, get fixed, then go back. There was none of this notion of self-management. Self-management was seen as, uh, you're the physiotherapist, you're paid to treat me. <laughs> That's a style of, style of thing, thinking. And uh, it was, uh, it was true. You know, we, we didn't, you, that was our generation, you didn't really understand. So you'd work to a point where you'd break down and then you'd spend time with the physio to get fixed and get back again. There was no structured uh, sort of self-management programs. There was no education programs around core, Pilates, yoga, um, which I know now they start at a very young age because you need to, you know, there's, that swimming is brutal for the body. Uh, yes, you know, we keep fit, but it is a, a very hard sport on the body. And if you don't look after yourself, you can cut your career short. Yeah, I, I guess I retired when I was 29. Uh, so I had a good, I had, I had a very good career. But, um, you know, I still live with back issues. Let's not call it back issues, sciatic issues, leg. It's all in the leg. It's feeling in the leg. Um, I just wish at the time I would have been taught how to release myself, look after myself a bit better. Um, just you know, also the value of Pilates. I, I, as one story that I've got with my coaching, actually, was I was watching my group. I was in the Cayman Islands watching my group do circuit training, and one of them was Liam, a guy called Liam Tancock, who's big, heavy guy. You know, like you know, ninety kilos, strong, and he's just a. You know, I watch him do now. circuits, and, I, and, it, it, and it's, yeah, and it suddenly <laughs> dawned on me. I, I'm watching him. And I was like, I'm making this guy worse. I'm making him worse. He can't do the technique. He, he looks terrible. He's exhausted. He's got absolutely no benefit to making him better. Yeah. And then he comes to training and be terrible because he was so beaten up from this circuit. So I sat down with the team I was working with. And I was like, guys, we're, 
we're actually hurting these these young adults. We're we're not making them better. And the physio turned around and looked at me and was like, I've been trying to tell you this. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but you've got to have your own experience. And I was watching the guys and not one of them was getting any better from circus. If anything, I was they were getting more fatigued. The te- their injury risk was huge. Like, you know, in if you're young, if you're 18 to 21 or whatever in a young university program, you can deal with boxing and jumping up and down and team rah rah and organ organized fun, I call it. Yeah. Uh, but when you're older and you're a professional and you've had a few years, you've got to be really smart and you've got to look after yourself. So we ditched the, the circuit sessions and replaced them with Pilates, reformer, stuff with real purpose. Like that and it explains to the athletes. This has real purpose. This will make you better because you're going to be more robust for your swimming work. And like almost for the rest of the year, we had no injuries as a group of six or seven athletes, which was just phenomenal. So I realized as a coach, we can damage athletes. We can damage people's career. So and we have to look after the athletes. And uh, that was a big key learning thing for me from my own injury experience to watching then what I was doing, what I considered the norm. But and now, I, now, honestly, my program's quite boring. We do Pilates. <laughs> we do injury prevention. It's not all singing, all dancing. If someone comes to my program now expecting this radical, ah, energy standard, do it differently, whatever, you'll see great swimmers doing the basics, but doing the basics better than anyone else. That's how, yeah. I, that's how honestly, I believe now over time, that's how you get great performance because good swimmers are good swimmers. They're not... They're good. Like you two guys went to the Olympics because you're good swimmers. You won international medals because you're a good athlete. And, you know, us as a coach, we have to look after those people and have good guidance. And that's why with Energy Sound, honestly, it's we have good injury prevention. We, have, we do basic technique. We even do not so, you know, some of our sessions are not the most interesting in the world, but they're, they have purpose and they're functional. Because I believe you give people the right environment, the right sort of, you know the right education their talent will just let them let them take over definitely i mean like you so said, that, a little bit of mindset yeah so, yeah yes. definitely i mean I, I totally agree and i think we were probably not far behind you with in like you, you said you called yourself a dinosaur but um <laughs> we're probably not far behind you coming onto the team and in that therefore educational system that we're being brought into but i feel like it's grown massively since us as well because like you were saying it's the Pilates, the core work, the little things that are actually really poignant in your training to protect your body, but it doesn't feel when you're doing it, obviously it will be hard, but in a very different way to what those circuits were. And I think back then, in a lot of athletes' heads, if you're not sweating and panting and like working crazy hard, it's not hard enough. It's not doing it right. It's not doing anything. And I feel like that's where it's hard to get that shift it's getting loads better now, but it's hard to get that shift in athletes' heads to think these little movements, these tiny little bits where you're not getting out of breath, but you're activating the right parts of your body to protect them are what you need to be doing for, for the best result. And I think it is, like you say, it's an educational shift, isn't it, that needs to happen? Yeah. Yeah, no, the ed- uh, Amy, the education is spot on because, you know, everyone has a different personality like some people will come in and if there's a pre-pull circuit set up they do it and they don't question it and because they're, and they're not because they know they have to 
where others will come in and go, I don't want to do this because it's boring. And, you know, what I've learned as well through coaching, you have to deal with different people and different personalities. So what some person puts value on, another just won't. So for some people in the morning at six o'clock, the last thing they want to do is, is, pre, is prequel because they don't understand the value in it. Um, but so what we try and do is we, 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 we educate the guys. Like, you know, and you, put, you have to provide the environment. You just don't do the session because you're supposed to do it. It, actually, the role of the coach is to educate the athlete, talk to the talk to the athlete, explain why. Like we've got these new massage guns. Have you seen the new guns? Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I bought one. I wake, I wake up in the morning, I can't move, so I get this thing on my back and get release my pressure points where the physio told me I can. I can that's fantastic. I can move for the day. So we provide an environment where you know we have equipment and tools. We show them. We sit down with a group. It's more. It's a very social way of way of doing prequel. But then some people want structure and they want a circuit that they can get, you know, they dial their head into it and they can go around and we provide that also. So we don't we don't try and do it as a one way fits all because that doesn't work because you assume that you're dealing with everyone is a robot and you're dealing with exactly the same person. And so we don't do that anymore. It's like one person might want a circuit, one person might want to, you know, one day you might have someone like a floral manager say, guys, I just don't want to do this today. Can I, can I do it after the workout? No problem. But it's just about finding what fits that individual and not just saying you should do this because you're supposed to. And then you get fantastic results when the athlete actually understands. And then they actually, they come to you and say, can we do more Pilates? Can we do more prequel? And that's the shift. I think is get go away from the dictatorial coaching and, methods whereby you should do this because you have to to more we suggest you do this come on let's figure this out together in partnership and like you're the athlete you're in charge of your career so let's do this around what you feel is appropriate and that's kind of that's i've seen that that's more how i've evolved definitely it's facilitated ownership isn't it i think just yeah i think absolutely as you just mentioned there james like the Swimming is probably quite a, a dictated sport and because the majority of swimming is, is age group, it's so, you know, coach tells the athlete what to do, they just go ahead and do that. And I feel like sometimes swimming is guilty of, of carrying that on into senior squads as well, that they're still working that same mentality. Athletes just come in, do the circuit, do the swimming and they leave without really getting a very good understanding of it. Maybe that's changing these days. That's definitely how I felt looking around when I was still competing. Um, and I think the later it goes, the older the athlete gets, the more they take ownership of it, the more they want to invest in those small areas. Um, I mean, your program now is completely different to most people's. There's not, I mean, there's not very many groups that's got an international setup quite in the same way yourself. Obviously, lots of programs are going to have international athletes in, but one that's entirely built just on athletes from all over. Like you said, you best group in the world on the results and things and list of names in your squad is, is quite phenomenal. How many athletes are in your squad and how, how do you manage to get it so individual? Is it a large group, small group? No, well, it's, it's just that honestly, it's about time and we've got, we're lucky where we're based. We have time. So right. um, this might sound uh, a bit strange, but we didn't do any recruiting. For our, we didn't actively for my full-time group in in turkey yes i have an isl squad that's 32 athletes that involves 
sort of 50% of my full-time group and I've had to recruit extras who've just come in for the meets, extra swimmers. Yes, they're energy standard swimmers, but they're calling them part-time athletes. But my full-time group, I have 14. Uh, but what, I, what, I, what we had to do was when we set up the project, I wasn't actually allowed to aggressively recruit because the idea was that the, the ISL is the end result of energy standards. So the ISL to create the league, to create 10 professional teams. So the first thing you do is by, you know, I could have recruited, you know, it's just imagine if I go into someone's, someone's group and speak to the best swimmer and say, come swimming with me in Turkey. I can offer you a salary. I can offer you the best swimming pool in the world, great coaching, best facilities. You don't have to pay for your food or lodging. Uh, you know, everyone's going to think. Me up, yeah. And then, <laughs> but yeah, but the quickest way to annoy the coaching community or the swimming community is to start taking the swimmers away from people. So we made a conscious decision not to actively recruit, but we would speak to people that were interested in coming out. So, you know, first off, we got, you know, so we were quite lucky that Georgia Davis and Mark, so I started off, so it's just quick, I'll go back. So I started off Energy Standard. The, it, the club always existed from 2012. It was Ukrainian Russian athletes only, really. There was like 80 athletes and they had their setups in Moscow and Kiev and put all over kind of sort of the former, former Soviet bloc, but mainly Ukraine and Russia. So I centralized a core group. And I only started off with four junior Ukrainian swimmers. That's it. I still have one left, Sergei Shevtsov. He made the final of the world champs, 103, he's a 48-2 guy. But he's, you know, he's stayed with us all the way through. But what we did was, you know, we had to get the results uh, to attract people. So, um, you know, Georgia Davis and Ben Proud were looking for programs uh, post-Rio Olympics. And they, you know, they came out to have a look and they were sold straight away. They wanted to work with us. Then uh, Chad LeClos was looking for a program. And it, it, quite quickly, in, you know, it's in Budapest, we won 12 medals, I think. And Sarah Schostrom uh, came out for a camp quite early. Um, we won 12 medals in Budapest. And then you start getting a bit of momentum. Then we get more and more people. Um, so then it just kind of just steamrolled from there, really. And I, even today, like we're now very fortunate we get so many requests that we even have to turn quite a few away. And it's more from the fact of us, we, we recruited properly. We've got the community saw that we, we weren't aggressive in our, in our nature. And therefore now we've got, we got more credibility, Joe, to be honest. And uh, I think it's a nice way of working. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Like you say, it has grown, grown really quickly. And uh, I've got to say, when I was watching, uh, watching the ISL League the, uh, last year, and especially that final in Vegas, I was, for the first time, I think, pretty jealous of uh, <laughs> you know, the guys that were still competing. And we spoke, like you said, just uh, Georgia Davis, we spoke to her on the podcast a few weeks back. And she was saying now, it essentially like saved the end of her career. After the Rio Olympics, she was sort of ready to hang it up, thought she had done everything she could do. And then you'd invited her out to go and look at the program in Turkey. And it just gave her a new lease on life. And what I found phenomenally is that she's got faster over these next four years. She's consistently got better and better and won international medals still. So it just shows that swimmers were kind of stopping, to my mind, maybe earlier very often than they were physically able to. They were just either mentally burnt out or financially burnt out or whatever reason it was. It wasn't just 
a physical thing that was making them stop. So I feel like this ISL league and energy standard in particular are giving athletes like Georgia, like Chad Leclerc, all the other guys you mentioned. Florent Manadou has come out of retirement. Is that about right? So like mm-hmm. find the team, yeah. I mean, that's just fantastic for the sport as a whole. Like, it's something I'm really excited to watch and see how it continues to develop. What do you um, foresee happening with the future with the league? Is it going to continue? Obviously, everything's in lockdown and nobody knows exactly what's going to go on. But what were the, what were the plans and what is there any contingency plans being put in place now as to how it's going to develop? Well, just just first part of your question is about, you said, emotional stress financially being burnt out financially physically psychologically yeah uh, that is that is true for 99.9 percent of athletes you know that this is the one thing that you know people people miss like uh it's a grind like say so you guys won for great britain for years you went to the olympics i i also won great great amount of medals but it's a grind still and there's only, that, there's only this very, very 0.1% few people receive a, a, ver, a decent income. I'd say I'd even, you know, you know we, most British swimmers scrap around for their lottery funding to be on program. And now it's only like 15, 16 swimmers. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's, that's it. That's the main thing. Yeah. And also athletics. And there's so much competition in Britain now. People are making less money than ever in Olympic sports. Um, so Constantini, he recognizes that you know, he's a passionate swimming uh, fan. And, and the first thing is that these superhumans deserve better. And that's kind of also attracted me to the ISL project in that he wants to set up, his vision is, 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 is investment, make the sport commercial. We have to change swimming because it's clear now the old way is not working. You know, we don't see... Like I say, 99.9% of people struggle financially. It's a grind. And they actually leave the sport quite disappointed. A lot, there's no way that some Olympic champions or world champions or Olympians should walk away from a sport financially crippled and also emotionally crippled. There's no way that should happen. So his ideas like insurance programs for athletes, uh, athlete representation in front of fit, uh, world governing bodies to get more money out of them because the world governing bodies... Uh, you know, they, they, they don't, to an extent, they don't share a big proportion of their revenue with the actual people that put on the show. Yeah. And so this is where ISL is different, where it's like at least half the, well, at the minute, it's 100%. He, he's fortunately that he sponsors everything at the minute. So there is no real huge revenue or sponsorship, but that will come. And that's directly going to be shared, like, hugely with the, the athletes and, you know, bigger than any, any, anything has been done before. So there's going to be, with ISL, even this year, you know, the, the plan for this year was to have 27 matches. They're called matches. Right, okay. We've got to change the terminology of swimming. People don't <laughs> watch swimming. People are not interested in swimming. We've got to do something. It's got to be, we need the community to think out the box. What's so wrong with Gala? This year we had... Like a gala. Not a gala, mate. <laughs> so 27 matches we have planned this year but that each team was going to compete in 10 times so the whole league was going to be 27 matches in total each team competes 10 times and a grand final obviously covid cancelled the lot so now we've developed a solidarity program where every swimmer that signed up for isl this year will receive a fifteen thousand dollar grant for the whole year so that's 
So, so if you guys were signed up for, uh, say, London Raw, you would still receive $15,000 each to support you through the next year in this difficult time. Yeah. But we're looking to do a training camp. Uh, a, it's called Solidarity. Training camp is the wrong word. Solidarity camp somewhere uh, when we can, when it's safe, and it'll involve all 10 teams, same location uh, in the world, and there'll be prize money. There'll be four meets that you have to do each team within that period in a bubble, in a quarantine bubble somewhere. Um, prize money, everything, the league. So it's kind of like a solidarity camp. And we're looking to do a grand final in December as well. Oh, wow. I mean, like you say, there was, there was planned to be 27 matches, galas. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, obviously this year was going to be Olympic year, Paralympic year as well. So with with that how did you foresee it fitting around um you know those those major competitions that were already on kind of do you see it impacting those in any way or do you see it aiding those or how do you see that mixing and matching well it was going to be after it was originally it was going to be after tokyo um and and the thing is, now we're now the, the calendar is jammed. <laughs> you know, everyone there's this backlog of events. I think if you're if you're a medal winner, medal winning swimmer now, you could win so many medals in the next year and a half, two years, because there's world short course, European short course, two <laughs> lots of world champs, Olympics, there's, there's ISL, there's everything. FINA Champion Series, FINA World Cup. Um, if you want, you can race every two or three days if if you, if you can handle that. Um, so. Uh, but how, how it is, is yes, the, the calendar has to be harmonised. Um, at the minute, there is no calendar. There's only Tokyo and Europeans on the agenda next year. Um, but I think, you know, there's going to come a point where there may be some clashes in the future. There may be. But uh, I think it's just the way natural sports develop. And it will be up to the individual athletes how they decide to work and how they want to do things. I think, you know, with ISL, is definitely... A, element of financial independence for the athletes so they might not necessarily be so dependent on their their small small grant from the lottery to survive you know it's, it's a bit it's a bit different when you know like we're talking solidarity grant it can, all the numbers are on the internet it's fifteen thousand dollars per athlete and then you win prize money when you're there you know it's uh you, you're in, kind of in charge of your own sort of destiny when you start doing this sort of thing uh, and I think a lot of athletes actually crave that. They crave, they crave that and they can make their own decisions on where they like their careers to go. And, you know, if they've got chances to train with professional groups or experiment with new things. Um, I think we'll see a lot more of that in the future. I think we'll see more athletes moving around, um, moving around from program to program. Uh, I just I think it's just, a, it's just a general, we need to evolve as a sport. And, you know, there'll, there'll be less of this coach owning an athlete per se. It'll be more uh, a bit like this old school understanding that the athlete is a property of the coach, which is doesn't work. Uh, it's more that the athletes will kind of find their own sort of journey, and the coaches will really help facilitate them on their on their on their way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, sounds phenomenal. Yeah, it, it's incredible. Like it's it's a great um, great thing to have started, and like you say with an aim of, you know, increasing the awareness of, of swimming within the general public so that it does get attention that I feel like it deserves as a sport as well. Um, like, 
like you've said, you are dealing with people from all around the world, swimmers, coaches, other team members and staff. Um, and I know that you feel that education is also an important part alongside swimming because you've got your own degree in international relations as well. And I've seen also recently that Sarah Showstrom is partway through a PT um, qualification, isn't she? So she's still doing yeah. that alongside her training and everything as well. Do you feel like your degree in international relations has helped you with what you're doing now and your role now? I think, uh, I, I think first and foremost, uh, for, for me, you know, swimming, you're going to be an athlete for a period of your life. It's not, that's not your life. And uh, I think that's one thing I try and explain to my guys that you've got to make the most of each situation. So, it, you know, even the, the guys that the, the real sort of say Chad's and Sarah's flow, Peniel Blooms of the, of the world that are busy doing that. They've got lots of sponsors, commercial things. They, they've got to maximize it. You know, long gone are the days where we, you know, the swimmers are told by the coaches not to do this, not to do that. But uh I think you, don't, you, don't, you, know, you just end up having conflict with them, and education is education is critical as well. And uh, like we don't, we haven't got too many younger younger athletes in our program. Um, I think you know it, it's all about choices, and if there's some exceptional younger talent uh, coming through, and it, it you know it depends where they come from, and they've made the right choices with their education, it, it can work. But uh, I think when you're setting up a professional league. Uh, it's 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 diff it's a difficult balance to get uh, because our sort of our our objective for the league is let's be honest it's commercial it's to make money uh, that's the idea so as a as a as a league the idea is to generate revenue is to generate income social responsibility is is, is really you know around education and and it has to be taken into account but that that's got to be the athletes. Uh, sort of own decision making because we're, we're, we're there to promote the league to promote the masses if the athletes want to be part of it they've got choices like I know that some a lot of a lot of swimmers have turned down ISL because they've got education commitments and that which is, you know there's no that's great that they're also taking ownership of their lives and their, their careers because but at least it's their decision sometimes yeah. some they're not being we don't put people in boxes but it's their choice if you want to be part of it it's great this is your earning potential uh if you don't if you want to do that there's these great alternatives loughborough university and now got awesome group of swimmers coming in uh international ones because they want to carry on their education and they want to so they can also get good balance with everything else but i think you know it has to be it, it's it's a tough it's a tough one it's a tough one to get right because yeah. you know, if you take example the Premier League, you know, there's the Premier Football League. It is, it is it's revenue. Uh, La Liga in Spain, revenue. Champions League is revenue driven, and it all comes down to an individual decision made by that athlete. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you say, they are all. Everyone's different. Uh, athletes aren't robots. I think we uh, mentioned that when we were speaking with Kev last week as well. And um, I. Uh, Obviously, within your group, you've got 14 athletes who are all at a very high level, all with some incredible goals that they're aiming towards for, for themselves. You know, everyone's very individual um, with some big personalities in there as well. And compared <laughs> to some age group squads, that is quite a small number to have. I mean, when, when I was training with you that first year, there was four of us in the squad, which is a tiny squad. Mm -hmm. And you've got to kind of manage 
people, personalities, training types, your, your coach athlete relationship with them. How do you manage that in a, like the group that you have where because of where they're aiming at, the demands of the coach, of the training are going to be so high and everyone's going to be different. How do you manage that and build that team? Sorry, quite cool. Well, first off, <laughs> no, it's a good one. It's a good one. Well, first off, it starts with your, your start, uh, staff and support staff around, around the athletes. Like we've got a, you know, we have an awesome coaching group. I call us a team because, yes, I'm the... The, the, the figurehead I guess per se but you know I've, I have four other coaches that will, will all work on the program together uh, that each play equally the same sort of role as myself uh, so I've got Tom Rushton uh, Delano Silva and uh, as, as on deck and plus Petro Nahorny so Petro is our distance coach he works mainly with Mikhailio Romanchuk so you know, and also what I learned is that you keep out the way <laughs> as well. As a head coach, you've got to keep out the way uh, because like working with the distance guys, I, 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 I can, you know, we, everyone follows my periodization meets and everything, but you know, I, sometimes you're better off just letting the, the experts go with it. So Petro is so passionate about the distance work and he, he loves it and he's, he's so into it in every aspect. Otherwise I'm more, more sprint based and I believe as a coach uh, we've been told down the years that you need to do this you need to be venture out and you need to be able to do everything but I don't I don't believe that I believe what feels right for you that's your fit and Ian Armagay always would talk about fit and if you're trying to be something you're not if distance coaching is not your passion you're never going to do a great job of it and equally if if sprint coaching is not your passion and like that that's not you you're never gonna you're never gonna be a great sprint you're never gonna work with great sprint athletes uh, Ross Barber always said like you know what you get with me you're gonna come here and you're gonna work hard you know you don't go to Russ if you want to do if you want to do easy easy Jan Albrecht style lactate one work you know you don't go to Russ so it's about as a coach I think I've got lots of different personalities who are in my team I've got I can so Petro can do the distance work and they swim every day they don't have a day off they swim 13 sessions a week wow. and they swim and, you know and he and he and he's good and it's science driven and, it, and it's good uh Tom middle distance science based very different style to me incredibly different coach to what I am and uh he, you know I, I sometimes I know we have to do the work and we have to do the nitty gritty, but Tom makes me, you know, that's his, his bread and butter. He's like, we got to do this, James. If we don't do this, we're not going to get the results. And this is why. And uh, so Tom, from that point of view, Delano, technically brilliant as well. So I've got a team around me that plug all the gaps that the group need. And also the athletes, you know, that they can, they can almost choose who they can connect with. Cause it, you know, for me, the, for some athletes, it doesn't feel right. They don't want to hear, they don't want to hear this um, sort of arty style, and they don't want to work on their technique every every minute. They just want to get on with stuff. And so you can put them, you connect them with a coach that that suits them. And we we the coaches go around the group, so it's not like you know uh, Delano or Tom are not working with Florent or Sarah. It's like everyone is in. You know, it's very like everyone, everyone's there to add value and help the athlete grab. Oh, James, I've seen something wrong with that technique. We'll take her off and go and teach her how to do it. Um, 
So let, letting everyone sort of have a role in in uh, in the program. Also, Marco Coso, our strength coach, is you know he's grown up with the program. You know this, you know he's grown every year. He's now strength coach at Ben Proud, Sarah, Chad, uh, Flora Maladu. And he, but he, he, we had Marco at the right time of his career where he was young enough and he wanted to learn and he was hungry and he just gives every hour he can to the program. And it, he's just for swimming. It's not like he's got to share him with other sports or, or like what a lot of strength coaches do. He's just there. He's on deck. So he understands the program. So he's grown up with the program. Mm-hmm. And uh, massage therapists consult. I, have, I can't obviously great having great physiotherapists and, uh, is unrealistic for budget. So, uh, so we have amazing consultants. We have a guy called Enzo Iadici from Italy, 20, 30 years of swimming experience, just caught in the hands of God. Uh, <laughs> we've got, um, we are, we got, we got, we got, we got uh, Ian Rollo from Gatorade that works on our nutrition program, and Rich Hampson, who used Where's to be the head Lofbra? psychologist of British. I feel like Ian Rollo. He was the head psychologist at Loughborough with Gatorade. Yeah, still working with Ian Rollo. Uh, then um, Rich Hampson, who's the head of British Cycling Psychology, is our consultant. So great consultants to plug plug the gaps as well. That's so get the team like around got... the athlete. You're going, Joe. Sorry. So I've got the team around the athletes, and this the, the the instruction is simple. We have to keep learning because we have to be no more than the athlete to put to build them up because as soon as we well you know as soon as the athlete is is kind of knows more than us then uh we're no longer developing them so that's our strategy to keep be put everything around the athlete keep upskilling us as staff and then just to keep driving the program forward an open challenge from the staff like staff just openly speak openly i'm i'm quite a laid-back guy i'm not a uh, like trying to teach everyone from different cultures that feedback, you know, if, even if it's negative, is not a bad thing. It's not personal. <laughs> that was difficult. Then, you know, take everything to heart. But uh, uh, I'm happy with where my my staff are because and they drive the program. You know, it's a unit that drives it forward. It's not one person shouldering the response, everything of all of all the responsibility because you couldn't do it. And yeah. like I say this, I'll give you an example this week. I'm writing all the workouts for people Monday, Tuesday. Tom takes over Wednesday, Thursday. Delano take, does Friday, Saturday. And that's for everyone in the programme. So we share, we share a lot of the burden. Yeah, so everyone sees the athlete at the front of you know, those performances. But really, there's a huge team behind them that's got them there. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. what people like, you know, that aren't in that environment forget or don't realize all the time so it's really important to recognize that and what i really liked actually is that you'd said about your strength coach was it was it mark um marco marco sorry um he you said you got him at a good time when he was young and he was still learning and i feel like that is an opportunity that sometimes gets taken away as uh, in a role such as, as snc because everyone wants experience everyone always wants you to have worked with a sport for five years and then a different place for five years for you to bring that to this new sport but actually you found it really beneficial having someone that's fresh and open-eyed and new and ready to learn so i quite i like that about you know having that in the team as well you find it quite difficult james that um i mean the guys that were coming to you as athletes were already really established for the most part 
when Serge mm-hmm. comes to you or Georgia Davis or Chad Leclerc, they've already got like, I don't know, they've already got an, an enormous amount of accomplishments behind them. So like you just said there about trying to keep your knowledge ahead of those athletes, that's got to be really difficult because they've got, obviously, they've already had long careers. They know what works well for them already before they come to you. How do you then stay that much further ahead of them? And is it a, a case of being honest and open and saying, I don't know this area, but I'm going to look into what you're asking me at certain points? Does that ever have to happen? Oh, yeah, Joe, you've got to be authentic. And uh, yeah. like you said, the thing is with experienced athletes, you can't, you can't pull the wool over their eyes. Yeah, exactly. You can't fluff it. It's impossible. And if you try, and I, and I say this to all the staff, if you try to pretend, they know. Yeah. They know. Uh, so, but a lot of my learning, honestly, comes from them as well. Like, say I say upskilling, like the fact that when you sit down, and they've all got different stories, like how they've reached the top. Uh, one of the best, the best things I ever do with my athletes when they first arrive, I'm like, just listen to their story how they become Olympic champion. And some of them are just amazing. Like Peniel essentially coached herself. You know, she was, she was nowhere uh, six months before the Olympics, you know, and then she won. Uh, (laughs) And then you listen to her story. It's incredible flow. I know Chad and so the challenge is about to overcome, but you're right. There's there's nothing wrong also with, uh, with saying like, I want to take some time to have a little read around this subject or, if someone comes up to me, I'll change it. I'm good at this intermittent fasting. Well, hang on, hold, hold down. And this speaks as the experts. Let's speak yeah. to Ian Rollo. Let's find out. Oh, I saw this program. I saw the v, uh, what's it, game changes. I'm going to be vegan <laughs> or uh, whatever. It's a, oh, okay, I don't know anything about this. But there's nothing wrong with just that little acknowledgement that yeah. uh, let's, let's take some time. Let's speak to an expert or I need a bit of time. And I think the athletes actually like that rather yeah. than because you, you don't ever dismiss their ideas never like because like you guys know as athletes you come you go, i've got this you come to the coach you, you've thought about it you've sat at home you've thought about it and you're thinking this and you may i might want to change a bit so even if you know even if it's something absurd you, you've got a value there because it's the, again it's their career and they've brought it to you and they think it's important yeah. So um, now, what generally what we we'll do is, if there's anything challenging or if it's something new, we'll 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 just get the we'll consult with someone that knows exactly what they're talking about. <laughs> uh, if it's a, someone that I want to try Jan Albrecht style training, I'll give Jan a call. Uh, yeah. Like I know all about that. We did it with Liam Tancock. Blew my mind away. Swimming three k easy every session, <laughs> and then having the best back end fifty at the World Championships out of anyone in the race. It just it doesn't make any sense to me. Still, um, I won't be honest. <laughs> yeah, There's so well. much anaerobic power. So much anaerobic power. So we had to detrain that so he could access his aerobic capacity. And then Liam finished off his second fifty faster than anyone else in two thousand and fifteen, which is again. <laughs> Okay, I'm open-minded, but that one, that one got me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, that's where you need the experts around, like within, say, sports science. And exactly. For sure. I mean, I'd, I'm conscious that you, you've got another meeting to get to um, after speaking with us. But so finally, and I know I'm going to like this answer because we're obviously all about technique as well. And I know that that's a big thing. For you. Mm-hmm. Um, but now lockdown is hopefully starting to ease and you'll gradually be able to get your athletes back in the water. I know that with athletes from all over the world, that's kind of happening at a different rate for each of them. But 
what are your thoughts kind of as to how you're going to ease them back in? What will you be doing? And obviously there's the psychological aspect as well to that, not just the training aspect. Yeah, I was going to lead on that, Amy. It was uh, the biggest danger we have now is psychological burnout. And so there's people at home, they've been, the Brits have been the worst, pretty much the worst. Uh, uh, and I say the worst, that's the wrong call. They've been stuck at home the longest uh, out of any nation that I work with. Uh, and then you've got two types of dangers now. You've got the guys that have been training all the way through that are feeling quite burnt out because they've had nothing to train for. Um, and they've been going for 12, 13 weeks now all on their own. Or like, imagine every session on, on your own, a coach sends a workout. Um, so they're quite burnt out psychologically you've then got the guys that are that they're, they're desperate to get back in and they're going to get back in and try and smash themselves straight away because they feel like they've got to play catch up um so what i'm going to do with my guys is you know it's it's a slow steady build regardless where you are at in your training first off we get them all back together you've got to create a fun, you've almost got to create this whole a little bit of a buzz around what you're doing, a little bit of excitement, but not going too far, that it's the, the emotional, the, the energy's gone too high. You've got to pull back. The people that are too eager, I'll be pulling back and calm down because you could do yourself an injury. That's the biggest danger. They'll get back in. They'll just try and kill themselves within a week. Try and, I've got to catch up 13 weeks. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm miles behind. Then, then you're actually out of the water even longer because you've popped your shoulder or yeah. something. So it will be a very slow build uh, throughout July and August. We will then take a two-week holiday in August. Everyone said you're crazy. But there needs to be a psychological finish to 2020. There needs to be that shutdown off. The staff, swimmer, everyone. Because like George Davis gave an example, has been at home, was at home for 10, 12 weeks every day trying to do a dry land workout on her own, on a bike. And then she'll be in Loughborough. And so she, she'll be, yes, so physically, yes, she's not that tired. But psychologically, that's huge. The Olympics has been cancelled. ISL has been cancelled. All your, everything you've known is, is just being thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. And you've been left to fend for yourself. And there needs to be a finish. There needs to be a finish. And then, so I've said, 1st of September, I, I want you fresh mind fresh body fresh soul that's how you're going to win the olympics that's how you're going to do a great effort in isl that's the only way it'll work if if you arrive tired in one of these areas any of these areas you're going to carry that the whole year and you're less likely to be successful um so that's my goal i only have one goal first that's it for now first of september you arrive and you're ready you're fresh and you're ready uh but in terms of technique yeah we'll be building that straight away I won't be messing around with that. No bad habits to start with, please. Yeah, just do the basics right, like you say. Absolutely. Foundation. Straight away, session one, session one will be doing will be doing technique work. Absolutely. Sounds good. I kind of want to get back in with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been taking that same break, James. Well, because I can imagine coaches are probably stressing more than some of the athletes. Would you like recommend to other coaches to take? that solid break so that you come back and they come back ready for September fresh like you were just talking about yeah absolutely because yeah. it's you're still there you're still writing workouts you're trying to think you're still contacting the athletes uh, non-stop you're still working with the support team 
Like I give you an example, Marco has been stuck in Turkey for, uh, he's been there all the way through. He's been there 14 weeks on his own in his apartment because he couldn't get home to Sardinia. He's kind of been waiting there for us to go back. I keep telling him, I would definitely come back in the middle of June. I oh, know, definitely the end of June. But now definitely 6th of July because there's an air corridor. <laughs> he's like James let me go <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but he can't he couldn't get home so he had no choice he had to stay he had to stay where he was but no guys I think everyone needs a break and I think you know this is it's important um, just just for everyone's psyche then I think create a buzz next year we've got ISL in October um, which will be our priority to start with and just little goals get the goals going again um, Deal with everyone individually. Don't chase the result. Though I think any coach or any athlete that chases too hard at the start, uh, I think that there's a serious risk of burnout later down the line. Yeah, yeah smart, sure. makes sense. I wish you luck. Yeah, best. Thanks, guys. And ISL sounds amazing. It's a shame it's second year hasn't kind of had the chance uh, that it that it wanted um, and that everyone wanted to see. But yeah, fingers crossed going into the next year and all the best with all you guys. And um, yeah, stay safe, Gibbo. Thank you so much for talking to, with us today. It's been really interesting. Uh, it's a pleasure. And good luck with all, what you're doing. It's great. Keep at it. And uh, we'll follow each other's progress. Brilliant. Thank Cheers, you very James. much, James. Thank you very much. Hopefully we'll see you soon. Cheers, guys. Best of luck. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed hearing from James as much as we enjoyed chatting with him. Make sure you come back next week where we hear from Mark Rose, head coach at Manchester Aquatics.